Awesome. Great to be with you. Happy Palm Sunday. Woo-woo! Wave your palm branches if you have them. <laughs> when Gal said earlier, we are not really high church around here, he meant it. About four or five years ago, there was a Sunday morning, not exaggerating. I literally leaned over to him I, uh, when I was lead pastor and I said, Hey, I think today's Palm Sunday. Is that right? <laughs> that gives you a little clue about my, uh, <laughs> how with it I am sometimes. But um, <laughs> Palm Sunday is a real deal, <laughs> and we are entering into it. And it's significant because Holy Week begins with the description of the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. On the Sunday before his passion, Jesus, who had always been opposed to any kind of public manifestation of who he really was and who had fled when people had wanted to make him king much earlier in his ministry, was now willing to allow himself to be born in triumph today in the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't until now. Now he was ready to proclaim who he really was. That when he was about to die, he submits to being publicly acclaimed as the Messiah. Because by dying on the cross, he will be in every way, in the most complete way, our Messiah, our Redeemer, our King, and our Victor. And he allows himself to be recognized as a King. But he is a King who reigns from a cross. Amen? He will triumph and he will conquer by dying on that cross. The same exultant crowd that acclaims him today will curse him a few days later and lead him to Calvary where he will be crucified. So Jesus enters the holy city in triumph today. We celebrate that day. But he does it in order to suffer and die there. So Palm Sunday, or as we call it, it's also called Passion Sunday, is the beginning of the Holy Week in which we remember the events of the last week of, our, of the life of our Lord. And so to do that, we have to accompany Him in His triumph, but we must also follow Him in His passion, right? And so I want to encourage you, as Gal said this week, to... There's a lot going on this week, <laughs> you know, to just... Uh, scripturally and in the story, in the God story, there's so much that happens. But this is a, a beautiful time. If you can, just set aside some time. Find ways to reflect on and remember and to focus on and to worship and spend time in adoration of our Jesus. Book some time in the prayer room if you can. Read through the passion stories. Take extra time to pause and and just to ponder what the events of this week really mean for you. Every good thing that we heard up here today was because of this event, because of the events of this week. I don't care what you do. Go through the stations of the cross. Notice what part of this story this week is speaking to you and touching you. 
Throughout the history of the church, the events of, of the last week of Jesus' life, the suffering, death, resurrection, have been celebrated. They've been proclaimed. Jesus called these events of his life the sign of Jonah. St. Augustine called it the Paschal Mystery. How many of you have ever heard of that word, that phrase before, the Paschal Mystery? Some of you have, some of you haven't. And over the past three or four years, I have been captivated by this phrase, Paschal Mystery. It actually captures the essence of what we celebrate in this week. And so when, when Christians speak of the Paschal Mystery, what we mean is the process of the, the loss and the renewal that was lived and personified in the death and raising up of Jesus. But I want to say to you today that the Paschal Mystery is, is more than something we celebrate it's actually an invitation to you and I. There is an invitation here this week as we celebrate. Are you, let me ask you a question. Are you comfortable with mystery? I hope so. Because the word mystery should become our close friend. Because the older we get, we should get a little more humble every day because if I can fully understand anything, it probably isn't that deep or profound. <laughs> In other words, and those of you, are, some of you know what I mean. The older I get, the less I know, right? Woo! I thought I knew some things in my youth. But I don't know jack squat. <laughs> so this morning... I just want to take a little time and try to help us understand more the, fully the nature of the Paschal Mystery and how we as believers actually get invited in to participate in the events of this week. We are not just innocent bystanders watching, but Jesus is drawing us into something so profound and so deep and so mysterious and so transformative. If we'll let it. If we'll embrace it. So here we go. You ready? Hang on. So what is the Paschal Mystery? The word Paschal comes from the Hebrew Pesach, which means, or Pesach, where the Hebrew experts are, uh, which means Passover. So this week in, in history, Jesus came into Jerusalem during Passover week. Right. You, you've heard, you know, the story of Moses, the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb in the Greek. It becomes Pascha, which is our word for Easter. It's translated Easter. Right. And so Paschal literally represents the entire scope, the life, death, resurrection. Actually, if we really are, are complete about it, the ascension of Jesus and then the outpouring of the spirit of Jesus through Pentecost. That's what the Paschal events are. Right? So let's look at our scripture reading this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your phones, you can turn there if you want, or I'll have it up on the screen. And Peter is writing to believers like you and I about how do we live? What does the spiritual life, the Christian spiritual life, look like 
in a pagan world. He's writing about 40 years after Jesus had died, after all of these events. So 40 years later, he's saying to fellow believers like you and I, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Come on. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Aren't you glad you have an overseer of your soul? <laughs> and aren't you glad it's not me <laughs> or someone else? <laughs> oh, can we just pause for a moment? Can we just pause for a moment and take in the significance of what this week means for you and I? I mean, I don't know about you, but man, the longer I live, we, we sang it this morning, you know, I, his mercies are new every morning. And I walked around this room as we were singing that and I looked at all the new mercies in the room this morning. Aren't you grateful for Jesus and for who he is and for what he does and for the way he he transforms our lives? He takes broken people and he uses them and he works through them and somehow God is glorified. Whoo. Let's, yeah, we could just end here. The Paschal mystery, the life, the passion, suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is so mysterious about that? The mystery, the mystery is not that these, act, these things actually happened. I mean, there is some amazing, miraculous things that have happened. You know, people, Jesus rising from the dead, that's pretty Mysterious and miraculous. But it's not so much that these things happen, but the mystery is how are we saved through these events? That's the mystery. That these events happening 2,000 years ago actually are... are trans- oh, shut up, Siri. Tra- transcending times. Sorry. I just got this watch this week. Don't let me forget. All right. Wow. The mystery is not that these things occur. The mystery is that we're actually saved through these events. And even further, the mystery is that we are actually called to live and experience these events over and over and over again in our own lives. 
Notice what Peter says in verse 21. He says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you what? An example that you should follow in His steps. Now, we talk a lot about being disciples here. We talk a lot about being followers of Jesus and our desire to be near Jesus and like Jesus. And we, we talk often about following the commands of Jesus, which is right and true and we should do. But the Paschal mystery invites us into an even deeper journey. Because while it is following the commands of Christ, it is that and more. It is following Jesus in the way that he lived, the way that he suffered, the way that he died and rose again as an actual pattern for our own lives, following in his steps. One of my mantras in life is, is it's not just what we do, but it's the way we do it. Right? I've discovered the reality of that. It's not just what we do, but it's the way that we do it. Jesus is called the way. He is the life. He is the truth. But He is also the way. So how does the Paschal Mystery reveal the life that we're called to live in Christ? And more importantly, if the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is a pattern or an example for God's transformative work in our life. And how do we fully embrace that work? Because, to be honest, I came into faith at a, very, a really young age. I grew up in West Texas. My mom and dad got swept up in the charismatic movement and the Jesus movement. They got radically saved when they were in their late 30s, early 40s. And I was one of the youngest. Uh, I, was, I was a twin, but I was third in the family of four boys. And man, my household changed. God, you know, emptied the liquor cabinet and the parties changed into, into house meetings and worship and praise and prayer and all kinds of cool stuff. God was doing stuff. And, uh, but I came into a very simple and naive faith that in its evangelical fervor, it saved me from hell and everything bad on this earth. <laughs> and then, as I got a little older, I realized I needed to get saved from myself. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, everything bad inside of me. And then I was still kind of going for this idea of, of salvation as an escape from hell, from suffering, from pain. I mean, I wanted to get to heaven from everything bad happening, right? Anybody relate to me? Right? So under the guise of religiosity, I ignored and denied and avoided, and I ran as fast as I could away from pain and suffering and hardship. But life happens. And the longer you live, the more you realize that somehow... Suffering and hardship are just part of the deal. And I love, I love the life part. I love the resurrection part. That's why on Easter Sunday, man, we, we get excited around here. And we hoop and holler, but 
I don't get so excited about the suffering and the, and the death part until I learn to embrace this actual mystery. What if, what if the way Christ lived and suffered and died and rose again and then new life came through the Spirit? What if there was something in there for me? Until I learned how to embrace the Paschal mystery, I couldn't fully reconcile the hard parts of my life. And especially how to embrace the suffering and death part to let it have its perfect work. I thought that was Jesus' job. So what does that look like, friends? What... What does that actually look like to embrace that? Well, first, this is a a little bit redundant. Oh, there we go. The Paschal mystery. First, if we're going to embrace the Paschal mystery, we have to be willing to emulate Christ. Okay, I had to go for an E word because the other two has our E's. So there you go. I could have said imitate, but emulate came and I was so happy. It all felt complete. The Lord had spoken, affirmed. It was a sign and a wonder. But we emulate Christ. We have to be willing to emulate Christ in all of life, right? This means in the crowning moments, right? And the dying moments. Like the disciples on Palm Sunday, man, we are quick to get on the bandwagon when, Jeru- when Jesus is parading through the Jerusalem of our lives, aren't we? <laughs> God is so good. Look what he's doing. And, you know, I got the pay raise and I got the, I got the job and I got the wife and I got the car and I got the home and I got it all. And, you know, the kingdom has come. Hallelujah. The crowds are cheering. Life is going as we plant. But like the disciples, we tend to scatter and hide when the heat is on. Life gets hard and people start mocking me and beating on me and, you know, hanging me on crosses. But the Paschal Mystery invites us to follow Christ's example, trusting that his sacrificial life and death is not only our way into the kingdom, but as my good friend Anna Lucas, parrot and John Wimber says, it's our way on in, on the kingdom, on. It's our way in and on. It's our way in and through. Right? Jesus. The way in is the way through. But I thought Christ did all the work and all I have to do is just believe. Well, Christ did the heavy lifting. It's kind of true. It's his work in you. But it gets fleshed out. It gets embodied and in flesh in you and I, because guess what? You and I are the body of Christ on earth. Did you know that? It's called incarnational living. Ronald Rollheiser, who's a a brilliant theologian and writer, says this. 
the incarnation itself was not a 33-year experiment of God in human history. God came. He was born in Jesus. He stayed here. He lived, was crucified, died, was buried, rose again, ascended to heaven, then poured out His Spirit at Pentecost. And His body, in one sense, was reborn through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the church. So that we can say, the incarnational body of Christ is still on earth here today through us as believers. Come on. You believe that? Woo! See, the Paschal mystery is something that we're meant to keep going on in history, to give incarnation to until the end of time when Jesus fulfills all things. You say, well, how do I know that's true? Well, one of the ways we know we can look at Scripture when, when John the Evangelist tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we read that passage of Scripture and we automatically think and, and know that, you know, primarily it is referring to Jesus, right? But the text in the Greek is written and it uses a tense that we do not have in our English language. It's called the aorist tense. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, and you can find this out and fact check me if you want to. But we have in English past, present and future tense, right? Our past gets a little funky. We got pluperfect and all of that kind of stuff. You English people all love that. But typically in Western languages, you can only speak about past, present or future in one tense. But the Greeks had a tense called the aorist tense, which is kind of cool. Because it is used to speak of something that began in the past, continues in the present, and continues into the future. So in John 1, when he writes in the Inceptive Eris, the Word was made flesh, what's he saying? The Word was made flesh, it is being made flesh, and will continue to be made flesh. Whoa. So in our English, when it's translated... It doesn't just mean that Jesus Christ was born in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, but, but it means something far more mysterious, far more powerful, far more transformative. It will continue until Jesus comes back. Does that encourage you? It should. So when we look at Jesus' life, we have to remember that before He was re resurrected, he first went through hell. <laughs> That's not so encouraging. And when Jesus was in hell, do you know what he did? He preached. He proclaimed the gospel. When you're in hell, you know what you need to do? Preach. Proclaim the gospel. Winston Churchill said, when you're going, <laughs> when you're, uh, how does he say it? When you're, when you're going through hell, keep going through, <laughs> right? Just keep going. But preach along the way. It was so fascinating this morning because my friend, my buddy Craig actually had a dream last night, a wild dream, that, an intense dream. He had an angel behind him and this demon in front of him that just pinned him down to the ground. And uh, I won't go into all the dream, but What's pertinent to this point is the fact that in the dream, Craig literally was preaching the gospel to the demon. And the demon could... Did you say he cried? 
Yeah, he started to weep. Now, come on, friends, that's pretty cool. Sounds like a Carmen song or something. <laughs> right? If Carmen were here today, we'd be writing, we'd have a song about it. God rest his soul. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. How many of you think we might have to go through some hell before we get to our resurrection? But how do we keep going through? How? We emulate Jesus. We proclaim the gospel. We heal the sick. We, we do good deeds. So we emulate. And the second thing we do is we endure as Christ endured. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this. I am going to tell you, though, if you weren't here for Adam Cox's message on patient endurance, you have to hear that message. Right? How many of you were here and heard it? Yeah. Stellar. God used to laugh at me because my life verse was, he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, a really encouraging life verse. <laughs> until he became lead pastor. And now he's like, I get it. I get it. Right. <laughs> I understand what you mean. We endure. Notice what Peter said in, in, uh, oh, there we go. Come back. Come back. He said, but if you suffer for doing good, and he said, you know, he's talking in context here. If you suffer for doing stupid stuff, you, you know, you don't get credit for that. Don't be acting like you're all hero and stuff. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This is the example that Jesus left us, isn't it? We endure. Christ is our example. The writer of Hebrews 12.3 encourages us. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider who? Consider Jesus. Consider the Paschal mystery. Consider the way he suffered. How did Jesus suffer? Well, we read in this passage, he didn't retaliate. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, you don't know who I am. He didn't walk up to Pilate and give him a, a face slap. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Too soon? Sorry. Sorry. That just happened. That was not in my notes. I promise. <laughs> and we know this intellectually suffering is part of the Christian experience. But do we know how to experience suffering in the way of Christ? The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. We suffer humiliation, hardships. And I follow Christ's example. And I hope that by the time I really die, that I will have befriended death and learn how to die well. I used to freak out about the idea of, you know, what if God calls me to be a martyr one day, right? I mean, when you're young, you know, you have all kinds of thoughts. Am I going to have to do that, right? 
And, um, but I've died a lot of times since then in my life. A lot of small deaths. And actually, the word martyr simply is the Greek word for witness. It's all it is. All we get to do is witness to the power of Jesus Christ when we experience dying moments. And we all have dying moments, don't we? We experience all kinds of death. What are some of the deaths that you have gone through? I I mean, think about this. The death of our youth. Those of you who are older in the room, you know what I mean. Or the death of our wholeness. I truly thought one day I would get it all together. What about the death of our honeymoons? Not just our marriage honeymoons, but maybe. Or the death of a certain idea about God or the church. What about the death of our pride? The death of a career or a season or a relationship? And it's in those dying moments when it feels like we're being crucified that we must emulate Jesus and we must endure. And third, we must entrust ourselves to God. Notice again the example that Peter gives. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We entrust ourselves into God's care. We entrust ourselves into the body of Christ. Man, where would we be without the body of Christ? I couldn't do this. You cannot do this journey on your own. Even Jesus brought his closest friends to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he wanted them around for every bit of it. He needed them. <laughs> we entrust ourselves into the will of God. And this is what I've discovered. Trust is, a, is an act of surrendering and relinquishing and letting go. And... I've found that when I trust by doing those things, that it creates peace in my heart. So that I can say, no matter what, Jesus, Father, like Jesus, I can say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever happens. I'm going to die daily. I'm going to entrust daily. I'm going to relinquish control. I'm going to relinquish power. I'm going to relinquish my need and, uh, and my attachment to safety and security and affirmation and all the things that I think I have to have a happy life. And I think here is where simple prayers are the most effective. You heard um, Amanda talk about breath prayers. I was thinking about it this morning. I think the first breath prayers were prayed on the cross by Jesus. Father, forgive them. Right? Into my into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Think about it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we emulate Jesus. When you're on your cross, whatever it is, pray those breath prayers to the Father. My breath prayer is, God, take all of me. I'm yours. Almost every day. Take all of me, God. I'm yours. The good, the bad, the parts I know, the parts I don't. And so, friends, we, we emulate. We endure and we entrust. And when we do, something mysterious and something miraculous happens to every one of us. You witnessed it here this morning. I got to witness it in the LTS as people were being delivered and set free. As people had received the Spirit into their lives and they were dying to old ways of thinking and old ways of behaving. And, and they were resurrected into new hope and new life and freedom. Friends, that's what the Gospel is about. The Word made flesh, incarnated, entering the pain, the suffering of the world, the dying, and then experiencing a love that is stronger than death. And watching that overcome and watching people rise up again and again and again so the Holy Spirit can be poured out. And if this keeps happening, if we as the body of Christ will embrace the Paschal mystery, enter into it, we will keep being born again. We'll keep dying daily. We'll keep being renewed. We'll keep being filled with the Spirit. And the glory of God will one day cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. To the uttermost ends of the earth, friends. <laughs> I love watching the how you all live out the Paschal ministry in our own community. As a pastor, one of the greatest honors is to get to watch people in their dying moments. And I don't mean just at the end of their life, but I mean painful moments. I watched Erica go through that. And to, to, wit, to be a, a witness and to stand and to be able to proclaim the gospel over and over and over again. To watch you walk in ways that are so humble and beautiful that we get to see Christ. I don't see your suffering. What I see is Christ. I don't see your hardship. I see Christ in you. The hope of glory. This is how we are to be near and like Jesus, friends. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Whoo! <laughs> Thank you, Father. I just want to recognize this morning that you may be here and for some of you, you are experiencing just the life of God right now in, in your midst and the breath of God and the favor of God. And, and for that, we, we say yes and amen, Lord, more. Jesus, you came to give us life and life abundantly, right? 
And that's what we hope for, we dream for, we pray for. But I also recognize that there are some of you who are walking through your own dying moments right now in, in whatever way it may be, health, financial, relational, spiritual. You may just be in a dark night and you're wondering, God, are you even there? <laughs> so Lord, show us the way through. And some of you are coming out or have come out and you, you've been renewed and you're risen again and now you have great hope and greater faith. And you're like doubting Thomas. You've touched the wounds of Jesus. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that by your wounds we are healed, Lord. I want to just ask you today, do you want to come? Do you want to come on this invitation and enter enter into this beautiful Paschal mystery? If you've if you have never said yes to the life of Jesus and never opened your own heart to a man, there's no better moment than right now than just to say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life, no matter where it takes me, no matter what it means, because I know that if you're with me, he's, he's our forerunner, friends. We know how this is going to end. If we, if we will simply emulate and endure and entrust ourselves into his care in his life. Amen. So, Father, bless my friends this week. I pray for encounters, encounters in this holy week that you would draw them in, love on them, minister to them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, we pray and we agree together. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a beautiful week. We'll see you good Friday. Hop into the prayer room or we'll see you next Sunday.